0: What, what is that? How did they get in there? Like, what has that got to do with anything? Uh, everything. Uh, that is, uh, I don't know how you watch movies. I watch movies to analyze them uh, because that's more enjoyable. Uh, if you look at spiritual motifs when you look at a movie like that. Have you seen Bumblebee? How many have not seen Bumblebee? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, then I can't say half of what I was going to say. So. I thought i blow the movie for you. Uh, well, do you, you know what the Transformers are, right? Yes. Right, okay, good, all right. Uh, Transformers, this, uh, and that by definition is a spiritual mo- motif, you understand that, right? So uh, in, in this particular series, and you should watch these things, uh, you can watch them with your family and, and strictly start the movie by stating the premise that you're going to then analyze it with, for spiritual motifs when you're finished totally radically changes how you watch those shows. Plus, it allows you to watch a whole lot of shows. I mean, it's just perfect. (laughs) Uh, In this particular uh, flick, Uh, By the way, you want to be able to use culture as a fulcrum against culture. You want to use what the culture is doing to reach culture. So if you can talk about Bumblebee from a spiritual uh, perspective, uh, you can have discussions you wouldn't normally have. So uh, there are two uh, uh, basically uh, transformer type uh, beings, as it were, fighting for control of the cosmos. You have the Autobots. Uh, which is what Bumblebee is. Uh, Bumblebee is known as B-127. Uh, and he's known as Bumblebee because all he can do is hum because his voice box was uh, was ripped out by Blitzwing. So uh, he, <laughs> I'm just saying, he can't make any noises anymore. Uh, he can just hum. And so uh, the young girl that found him in a, in a junkyard on planet Earth where he was dispatched by Optimus Prime, his leader, to set up a new base. Uh, uh, you know, Charlie Watson is a, little, uh, is a young lady who found him in her uncle's junkyard. And so her uncle gave her this little... Volkswagen Bug, because right before his voice box was uh, wiped out, um, the last thing that he scanned was a VW Beetle, <laughs> like that. Remember those? Yeah. yeah, I do. That was the cool car, by the way, back when I was in school, if you can imagine. Um, that exact model. That's a 1967 uh, VW Bug. Easy to work on the engine, wasn't it? You could just open it and see it. Uh, but. Um, The last thing he scanned was this uh, particular image of this VW bug, so he was able to then, uh, uh, when Charlie uh, awakens him accidentally, uh, to uh, morph uh, from this particular VW bug, which which is what he used to hide from his enemies, uh, and he would transform into this mighty giant uh, Autobot robot to fight evil, fight evil. Here's the, the without giving you the entire movie, here's the spiritual content of this. the only way that the Transformer is effective in, in battling the Decepticons, and what an appropriate name for your opponent, is it not? It's like the devil. Is that not what he is? Um, the only way that he's effective is when he, he changes from the VW form to his Transformer form. He has to transform because he's made to transform. He's not made to stay in the VW form. And as I got to contemplating that this week when I had tons of time on my hands um, to reflect, uh, that, that is basically what you find in the spiritual walk, isn't it? Uh, you, can, you, can, you can stay in the VW form and kind of hide out all year and not let anybody know around you that you are really a saint that's really transformed. But, but God wants you to, to get out of that form of the, of the bug. And, and to be who God has made you to be. Because you're, you're great in God's sight. And he's empowered you to take on Decepticons' evil. Uh, it, the only difference being uh, Optimus Prime uh, is, uh, is really God in our structure of things. Uh, and you are his saint. And you are on this planet engaged with evil, are you not? We are in a very major way. Uh, and the, the whole motif is built around um, the concept of transformation, which is a spiritual concept. That who you are now at the end of 2019 should be radically different than who you were at the end of 2018. You should be changing. You should be transforming. And who you are going to be at the end of 2020 should be radically different, spiritually speaking, than who you are even today as you contemplate the year before you. It's all about transformation. Transformation and the victory over uh, evil uh, comes uh, from, um, well, the pen of Paul, Romans 12. We'll refresh ourselves on transformation. What did Paul say? I don't have a bunch of slides today because everybody was off this week. I think you can follow this I'll try to signpost it so you can see where we're going Romans 12 Paul says therefore I urge your brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship then here comes the command don't be conformed to this world uh, but be transformed Transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is—that which is as good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed. See the movie; it just borrowed from God. God wants you to be transformed into His 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 likeness by the renewing of your mind, because the mind's the problem. But as you submit your mind to Christ and you're subservient to him and his word and his way, you become transformed into the likeness of Christ. So Paul spends chapters 12 and 13 and following explaining how a Christian who's justified by faith, in the, which he talked about in chapters 1 through 8, then he paused to talk about Israel in the whole plan of God being transformed. He gets back into chapter 12 to say, what does a new standing in Christ mean to you? Like as a spiritual autobot. Well, he doesn't want you to stay looking like the bug, hiding out all the time so nobody can see your transformed uh, nature. He wants you to come out and show yourself for what God has really made you to be and be changed. Uh, and so what he's going to do in, in, the, in the passages uh, before us, which we just we're reviewing in case it's been a while. Uh, Romans uh, 12 verses 3 to 9, he, he says, uh, Let me first illustrate that your transformation should take place where your spiritual gifts are concerned. That God has trans, the moment he, he saved you, He gave you spiritual gifts. You have some that I don't have, and vice versa, but you should be using those to transform the church, transform the culture. That was verses three to nine. Uh, we've, we finished off uh, several weeks ago, uh, before we started our Christmas series, with looking at uh, how does the transformation take place in relationship to government? Well, we of all people should be living in such a way that it radically changes uh, the governmental landscape around us. And I don't know that the church has done a very good job on that one because we've been too much hiding like a bug. And God wants us to come out in 2020 and say, no, Christians should have a positive impact on the world about them, even down to politics. And we, we talked about how you should be subservient to those above you because God put them there. But uh, as we get to the passage before us, verses uh, 8 through 14, Paul's going to say, how should your new status in Jesus uh, transform you? I mean, how should you be different? Here's another area, verses 8 to 14. It's all about love, that your love should be transformed. And so the main idea, since I don't have a slide, I'll give it to you, uh, and I'll say it two times so you'll totally remember it in the next 30 minutes, correct? Ready? Okay, so what, what is the passage about? It's about God wants to take your love, what it is now, and transform it into be like his love. He wants your version of love to be transformed into his version of love. Talk about a goal for 2020. God, take how I view love and make it like your view of love. And I'm thinking his is probably going to be radically different than yours. Uh, several years ago, I read a book uh, called, by, by uh, Milan and Kay Yarkovich out of San Diego. Uh, and it's an excellent book if you're married or you're thinking about getting married. Uh, and it is called How We Love. It's a very interesting book uh, because uh, their premise as counselors in San Diego, and they've seen thousands of people, um, is uh, basically you can uh, boil love down to four different types. Uh, and as you read this book, it's kind of interesting to do it as a, as if you're married uh, with your wife or your husband to say, uh, which one are you, honey? And then at the end of the book, uh, they give you uh, methods by which to fix your form of love. Because the premise of the book is this, how, how you know how to love is imprinted on you when, when you're growing up in your family. Translated, you learn how to love from your mom and dad. So if your mom and dad had a really warped, twisted, messed up, dysfunctional way of loving each other, guess who imprinted that? You probably did. And so you leave the house and you think, I am not going to love like they did ever. And then all of a sudden you wake, wake up years later finding that you've become your parents. So what they do is they give you four different kinds of love that are not God's kind of love. Because his love is selfless, right? Right? It's not self-serving. What are the warped kinds of love that might need to be changed in uh, 2020 if you want to transform into God's form of love? Well, I'll give them to you. Um, you might be one of these. And if you're not married, well, you probably got these in your body too. Uh, and they'll come out when you get married. Here, here they are. Um, avoiders. Avoidance kind of love. Uh, well, it's pretty simple what that means. Uh, they, uh, they, they don't like to identify their feelings at all. They don't want to talk about themselves at all. In fact, they don't talk much because remember, they're an avoider. And so if you try to address a situation in their life, try to get them to talk, be romantic, all of a sudden, uh, there's not much there. It's kind of like, hello, is anyone home? Because they avoid everything, so nothing ever gets solved. So if you're the problem solver type and you're married to an avoider, you're gonna turn gray. Uh, Because they're gonna frustrate you. It's the wrong kind of love. Their second kind of love, they say, are pleasers. Pleasers will do anything to keep peace. Anything. And that's good to a point, but since they won't address anything, um, nothing gets fixed, because they're too busy trying to please everybody. Third kind, or yeah, third kind, are the vacillator. Uh, They're just all over the map emotionally speaking. She's here, she's there, she's here, she's there. He's here, he's there, he's there, and it's unbelievable. If two vacillators marry each other, guess what happens to the family dynamic? Whoa, the kids are tuckered out. Mom's positive, dad's negative. Mom and dad are both negative. I mean, on and on it goes. Uh, And then the fourth kind of warped love is a controller. A controller. I don't even have to really define these. They're the person who believes that uh, peace and joy within a relationship comes through uh, fear and rules and regulations, which they create and constantly change. You'll never please them. They're the dominator. And if you give in to them, they will control your life and make you so happy. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So Paul comes along in Romans 8, uh, chapter 13, verses 8 uh, and following, and says, No, as, as a Christian, you should be taking warped concepts of love, putting them at the feet of Christ, and say, i got to drop these. Uh, this is what's imprinted on me. you got to help me change. And so when you look at uh, what you should change into, that's cl- I mean, it's clear. I've used it in a lot of weddings. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Like, what is love? He describes love there. It's, you know, it's patient. It's long-suffering. It's kind, et cetera. It doesn't seek its own, et cetera. Uh, but, but what he's going to do is he's going to teach you in these verses that we're going to look at how to be transformed in the area of love. Because there's probably room for improvement. Wouldn't you agree? Or you've all reached perfection and I don't need to preach anymore. So what does Paul do? Paul is going to tell you how you uh, trade uh, the old forms of love for the Christ's new forms of love. And he's going to do it in a 3 format. Number one, he's going to tell you that you as a Christian, or if you're still following the metaphor, the autobot. You still with that? Okay, so you're still following that. Uh, you have a definite message. What's the message? Uh, well, verses 8 to 10. Chapter 13. Owe nothing to anyone except to... You know, oh, you have a Bible, you'll need to use it this morning. Because I remember, I don't have slides. You're waiting for the slide to pop up. Uh, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. So you, you have a message. He goes on to say in verse 9, uh, For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, Quote, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong. To a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. He says, uh, You have a message from God, and and it's in a command form. It's a negative command followed by a positive command uh, with the verb being implied, which makes it emphatic. So, what does he say? Uh, Well, remember your duty uh, to God in verse uh, 8, the first part is basically pay all your debts. That's what he says. Oh, no, man, nothing. So, does that mean that I can't get a car loan? How many have a house payment? And you borrowed money for that, yeah. You can't function around here without borrowing money. So d- d- he's telling you that you can't borrow money, isn't he? Says, "Oh no, nothing to anyone." Well, no, he's not saying that because we know uh, from elsewhere in the scripture that uh, God talks about money. The Mosaic Law, Exodus twenty-two verses twenty-five, Leviticus twenty-five verses thirty-five and following, Deuteronomy fifteen seven and following says you can loan money within parameters. Uh, and then Jesus, many of his parables deal with money and money that he loans to his people. Like the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, 14 to 30. He loans us resources, and he's gonna wanna know when he sees you, hey, how'd you do with what I loaned you? And you just thought it was stuff that you had acquired. No, he's giving you what you have, and he's gonna want to know, I loaned this to you, uh, and so I want to know, did you increase that which I gave you by investing it properly, but et cetera. So he's not saying that a Christian can't Uh, uh, take out a loan, like some people will say that. I've had people actually tell me. I had a guy one time when I was a new pastor in my office, just mad as a hornet that I had uh, got a brand new Ford Explorer. Back in the day, I think there were $16,000 brand new. And I put like 10 grand down on the car and I financed the rest. And he was so mad that I, as a pastor, had set a bad example because I borrowed money to buy that car. Unbelievable. He left the church. I, I kid you not. I've seen everything at this point. I was like, are you kidding me? Where does it say I can't? Well, you can pull verses like this out of context. So what he's saying is that you should not be so indebted you can't love people. Do you hear me? He's saying don't be so indebted that you can't use your monies and resources to bless people, to love them. Because it's pretty simple. (coughs) If your money's all tied up because you live from check to check, uh, when you look at your visa statement and it tells you if you pay the minimum payment, when you will pay this off will be... Never. You know, if that's your, if that's your life, then you, when a needs come along and you need to love somebody, you're just like, well, we don't have the money to do that. You can't help them. Um, I knew a couple one time where the man uh, was uh, very skilled at saving his money. Uh, he had a really great job as a, as a law enforcement officer, saved his money. Uh, was getting ready for retirement. And then he found out that his wife had run up $30,000 on Visa cards. So he met with me. Asked me, how, how should I feel about this? <laughs> how would you feel if you just came home and found out your wife ran up $30,000 on a Visa card and, there you, and there's nothing to show for it? That's the thing, because I look around my house, where's the $30,000? Well, she was buying things for her grown children who were married. He's like, are you kidding me? I, I, I can't even see it in my house. So I said, well, I think I, if I were you, I would confront her in love and, uh, and, and talk to her and tell her, we need to fix this. So they had a, they had a very interesting verbal exchange. And they solved their issue, and she said, I will never do that again. He said, great. So he paid off the $30,000 debt, took him a while, and he was all great and fine, and they were all great and fine until he came to my office again later, like a year later, and said, I need to talk to you again. Like, why? He goes, she, she, she did that again. You're kidding. 60000 total. I mean, total. I mean, 30000 again. And, 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 and he said, I, again, I look around my house, I, I can't even see where it went. It went to the children who are married and don't even live here anymore. Unbelievable. So that Christian family had issues with loving. Why? Because if your money's all tied up with Visa, you can't touch lives because you don't have the money by which to help people. Follow? Pretty simple logic. So are you a wash in debt? Uh, If you are, don't know how to manage your money. uh, On January the 12th, uh, we have a financial peace university. Uh, It's in room. You should be taking notes right now. (laughs) Room 202. Time, 11 o'clock in the morning. You should be in there to say, I need to learn how to manage my finances. Why? So I can glorify God, give to God, and touch lives and show love. Me needs. Paul says, don't don't owe anybody to the extent that you can't touch lives. But then he says, positively, uh, well, owe people love. You owe them love. He says, you should be all about loving other people because that's what a Christian's life is all about. That, Because God loved you enough to go to the cross for you, die for your sins, rise rise the third day, and he was all about love, and he still is all about love, that should be the thing that you focus on all the time. I mean, like laser lock on. It's just love. What kind of love? Well, not your version of love, remember? You're the controller, you're the vacillator, you're the what? No. He says, no, follow my kind of love that's divine love, agape love. No strings attached selfless love sacrificial love that's what paul says you should have on your mind all of the time so you should be studying christ constantly and asking yourself when i read his life in the gospels how did he love so at the end of a very long day when he had totally put himself out into people's lives and people still came over uh, to wherever he was staying did he send him away no 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 he didn't He was always out with the crowds, ministering, caring for people. I mean, he would even engage the wicked scribes and Pharisees. We have barbed conversations with them. They wanted to undermine him. He still loved them enough to engage them. So, Lord, am I like you? Uh, It should be all about love. I have a debt of love to to pay to other people in 2020. Catherine Laws has been long forgotten by most people. Most people don't even know who Catherine Laws is. You probably won't even know her husband either, Lewis Laws. Lewis Laws and Catherine Laws laws were uh, uh, sent. He was a warden back in the the 1920s. He was sent to be the warden of a beautiful prison called Sing Sing. It was a rough place to be a warden. In fact, they didn't last long there. I mean, all the worst murderers, racketeers, the the worst of the worst were in Sing Sing. He was sent there to uh, to fix it because no other warden could. Uh, He did fix it. He brought in humanitarian uh, reform because he was a Christian man. But at the end of the day, when he reformed that prison, Sing Sing, uh, he said that the greatest reformer of that prison was not him, the warden, is his wife, Catherine. Because what she would do as a godly woman is she loved those men imprisoned in Sing Sing, and she would immediately show up at the prison with her little children No matter if they were playing games in the yard, she'd go in the yard. If they were playing basketball, she would show up with her little children to stand and watch them play basketball. I mean, whatever they were doing, she brought her children to the prison. Because as a Christian, she wanted to show love to them. Would you show up there with your children? She did. She did. They loved her. She would sit and read to the blind prisoners and teach them Braille. The deaf prisoners, she would, she would help them with sign, to learn sign language. I mean, she invested her life there in these men because she loved them as Christ would love people. 1937, she died in a, a tragic car accident. Uh, and uh, they put her body uh, in state, as it were, at, her, at their home about a quarter of a mile away. Uh, and the warden uh, was at the prison and uh, while his wife was down the, down the road at their house, Uh, in, in her coffin and he was getting ready to go there and he noticed at the front gate of the prison were all of the prisoners assembled standing there they wanted one thing they wanted to pay their respects to Catherine and so he told them he said men I will let you walk to my house I will open the gate I will not count one of you I will send no guards with you you can go pay respects to Catherine whom you loved and who loved you and then when you're finished you just walk back guess what? They didn't lose one man, not one man. Why? Because they loved Catherine. why they love her? Because she loved them. She was buried outside of Sing Sing prison. See, when, when, when Paul says, I want you to have transformative love, that's what he's talking about. That kind of transformative love. Do You have that kind of love? What's the result if you choose a life of, uh, of love, Christ type of love? Uh, He says in verse eight, no, no, oh, no, nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law, all of the law, all of the law, Uh, the law of Moses, the 613 commandments and the big 10. He says, if you, if you love other people as, as God loves them, you have fulfilled every facet of the law. And Jesus talks about this, that the greatest two commandments, and we all know them, the first greatest commandment, we can, we can say it quickly is to love God how much? With all your heart, soul, and your mind. And then the second he says, your neighbor as yourself. And then the Pharisees want to know, well, could you specify who exactly might my neighbor be? Because there's people I don't like. <laughs> and now Jesus says, who's your neighbor? Anybody and everybody. Down to a prison full of sing-sing prisoners. Those are all your neighbor. You should love them. And so how it works is when you uh, love people unconditionally, uh, as, as Catherine did Uh, She fulfilled all of the law because she had put God first, loved him. And then she loved other people. And Paul says, it's as if she fulfilled all of those commandments because she did what God wanted them to do. But not everybody is a Catherine law. You know this, right? Not every Christian loves like that. I have a friend uh, that when he came back from the Vietnam War, he was, uh, he he trained Dobermans to find VC. That's what he did. Uh, And he, he did several tours with his Dobermans. Uh, and we got back uh, from Vietnam. Uh, he had a whole bunch of PTSD and he needed help. And he wasn't a Christian. Uh, and he went to his uh, sister and his brother-in-law, who was a chemist for Chevron. Uh, and he said, I, I, I need some help, but I don't, I don't know what kind of help I need. And they didn't know either. So they said, well, we're not Christian people, but we'll go to church. And so they went to church. This man that needed help from all he had seen in Vietnam as a, as a man who trained dogs to find VC in tunnels and stuff. And so uh, they went to church and I talked to him and they said, we went to church. No one greeted us in the parking lot. No one said hi to us at the door. No one shook our hand. Uh, We sat down. No one paid attention to us as they all talked to each other. Uh, We just sat there. And then after the sermon was over, we got up and stood there for a few minutes. No one said anything to us. Everybody talked to everybody else. So we eventually just walked out of the church and we never went back to church. Isn't that sad? So I tell you, Catherine Law, to go, that's how you operate. But I also tell you, we we also know the other side of the equation. So busy with your life, you forget about the lost, you know, army dog trainer who who needs someone to love him. I often thought about them because I knew them very well. Um, when I was in seminary. I've often thought, what would have happened to that, that young man when he came back from Vietnam if the church had loved him? Because he never went back to church ever. See, it was all about love. It was all about love. May we never be those kind of people. That you look around those the people around you, you don't know their story. Because if you love them as Christ loved them, Paul says, you have fulfilled the law. It's pretty simple how it works. If you uh, love people and reach out to them and care for them, uh, then... Uh, you'll not think of doing anything uh, evil toward them. So he quotes some of the commandments, not, not committing adultery. If I truly love my neighbor, then I'm not gonna want his wife, right? Be- because I'm, I'm content and I will live sacrificially. Uh, he says, uh, you shall not steal. Why? Well, because uh, I respect the person who has the, the, the goods, whatever it is that people are stealing, but I'm not gonna steal from them because I love them. And so he says, it's real simple how this works. Love, love. As God loves and then your life just automatically fulfills the law of what God wants you to do you know if if we truly lived in 2020 as God would have us to live I would submit to you that um, most of what's talked about in a vicious way on Twitter would just totally disappear it would just disappear because you love people and you and there's ways you talk to them and there's ways you don't talk to them I think that uh, church schisms would evaporate if there truly was love in churches that had schisms that people would just say you know what I have been so wrong in holding a grudge against you. I love you anyway. I'm moving on. Uh, op-ed pieces in newspapers would not be vicious anymore. Why? Because you love and respect people, even if you don't agree with them. What's missing in our culture? I say it's a whole lot of love. What kind of love? Divine love. Because you don't see it around you. Uh, there's, there's, we can shine brightly in 2020 just by fulfilling uh, the the message that God has for us. Uh, and you have motivation, he says in verses 11 to 12, to get your act together, to use a 60s term, to get with the program. And you have motivation to step up to the plate to learn how to live tr- in a transformative way where love is concerned. Uh, notice what he says in verse 11. About, this is second point. You have a, a message, now you have a divine motivation. Uh, what is it? He says in well, verse 11, do this, do what I just said, knowing th- the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from the sleep, uh, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. What is he talking about? Two things. He said, let me motivate you to, to love as, as God loves. Uh, he says, uh, the, the motivation is the truth about the coming of Christ. He is coming back. And you have to give account to him. All people will give account to him. Uh, many scriptures talk about uh, the fact that he is coming back. Uh, John 14, we'll go back to our Christmas series. Uh, John 14, verse three. Jesus says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Translated, I am coming back. I am coming back. Uh, Philippians three. For our citizenship as Christians is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform. Remember the Autobot motif? You've already forgotten it. No, Paul talks about it all over the place. He says, "Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory, by the exertion of the power that He has even subject to all things uh, to Himself?" Uh, he he says, "We eagerly await a Savior." Don't you? I mean, as your body decays, I mean, what you have now is not going to be anything compared to what's coming. Your body that will be given to you that would be transformed to where well, it's off the grid what lies ahead and he says we're waiting for the savior to appear why he said he's coming back uh first john three verse two beloved now we are the children of god and it's not yet appeared as yet as to what we shall be when we see christ but we know that when he appears we will be like him because we will see him just as he is i mean imagine i mean skin with no issues no sunspots (laughs) no aging it doesn't get fragile the dog scratches you and it leaves a massive bruise as you get older you know what i mean I mean, all the stuff, you think you're, you're young and your skin's tight now? Uh, it won't stay that way. Is it, am I not right? It begins to change. It, and no amount of rejuvenation can change it. So rub the cream on. Cream on. It's still going to do what it does. And Paul says, hey, Jesus is coming back. And when we see him face to face, there's going to be a radical change in what you look like. In light of all of that, uh, we should remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, uh, the angel said this to the disciples as they stood on Mount Zion uh, or um, the Mount of Olives, across from uh, the Temple Mount, watching Jesus ascend into the heavens after his resurrection. It says in verse 11, And they, the angels, said to the disciples, Hey man of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up for you into heaven will come just as the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. What are you looking at? Well, if you're talking to Jesus, and all of a sudden as you're talking to him, he begins to lift off. Aren't you going to kind of watch that? I mean, how many you would watch? No big deal. Seen this before. Eh, not that big of a deal. No, you're talking to Jesus. He's, he's died on the cross. He's risen from the grave. He's standing in front of you, and all of a sudden, on the Mount of Olives, boom, he just starts going up, and the clouds receive him, and there's two angels that show up there, these two men, and they, and they look at the disciples, and that's what they, what's what they tell them. Hey, what are you guys looking at? Uh, hello, aren't you guys clued in? Jesus just ascended. And their, their word is very simple. Hey, don't you know that he's coming back the same way? Don't you love clouds? I do. I mean, don't you love when you take off and you get to fly through them? Or do you even look out the window? I mean, I hate it when I sit next to somebody like when I flew last and they put the window shade down. i like, I like the window seat. Because for me, it's like a worship opportunity. Like, right when you lift off and you're going through the clouds to look at them and think, If this is majestic, what must it be to be in my spiritual body, walking into the gate, through the gates of heaven, into the presence of God? You miss that if you shut the shutter on the southwest plane. (laughs) God's coming back. Uh, That truth is all through the scriptures. But when's the timing of His coming back? Does anybody know? Nobody knows. You don't know? No, I I don't know. Don't ask me. Uh, I I just know that He's coming back. Now, now, this concept of Jesus coming back in in theological circles is called the doctrine of imminency. Uh, What does the doctrine of imminency mean? Well, it means nothing has to transpire in order for him to come back. Because if something had to transpire, then it's not imminent. Uh, Dr. Reynolds Showers uh, wrote an entire book on this subject, and here's what he says. He says, uh, thus, an imminent event is one that is always hanging overhead, um, is constantly ready to befall, overtake a person, is always close at hand, Uh, in the sense that it could happen at any moment. Uh, Other things may happen before the imminent event, but nothing else can uh, take place before it happens. If anything else must take place before an event can happen, that event's not imminent. You following this? Uh, And then the necessity of something else taking place first destroys the concept of imminency. This is why I believe in the rapture. Because if you study the second coming of Christ, they're radically different from each other. In the second coming of Christ, Christ, Christ comes back down in Revelation 19 with the saints arrayed in white robes, and we come riding horses with him. And it, by the way, if you can't ride a horse, get to learning because you're, you're coming back. And you come back with Jesus, and then his feet, according to Zechariah chapter 12 to 14, touch down on the Mount of Olives uh, when he comes here for the battle, battle of Armageddon. In the rapture, it's totally different. Uh, all of a sudden, he appears, and we're out of here. You're gone. We go up to meet him in the clouds. He doesn't touch it down in the rapture. And by the way, if you study Revelation chapter 6 to 19, and you study all the 21 judgments of, of the seven year tribulation, and they're all successive and chronological, there's the first seven, and the seventh of each series begins the first of the next series. There's 21 judgments before Christ appears. You can kind of guess their timing because Gary Cohen wrote a book, it was a dissertation, uh, I think it was at Dallas Seminary, called Understanding Revelation, where he talks about the chronological structure of the book of Revelation. Point being, if I understand when these 21 judgments occur in the seven-year period of the tribulation, I can kind of tell what's gonna happen. And since I can tell what's gonna happen, that destroys imminency. Because once the bold judgments start being poured out, I could kind of time the coming of Christ by, hey, we're on number five. (laughs) but imminency means at any moment, at any moment. What does scripture say about imminency? Philippians four, verse five, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Wow. Imagine if that was fulfilled. Let your gentle spirit be be known to all men. Imagine if you're a dominator, that word's for you. Why? He says, the Lord is near. I'll put it to you this way. If if the Lord was near 2000 years ago, how much nearer is he now? Well, at any moment. Titus chapter 2, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of, our, of, our, of the glory of our God, great God and our Savior Christ Jesus. We're looking for it. James 5, uh, verse 7, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits uh, for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and latter rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near, near. I mean, like a farmer, you should be working and preparing the ground and working in life, etc. Working on your love to make your love more like God's love, not like your love. Why? Because one day he appears and you give account to him face to face as a saint. I have a simple question. Are you ready for when he appears? Fred Rogers. Fred Rogers was ready. Was he not? He was. You know, that's not my kind of movie. And I didn't sit around when I was younger and watch a whole lot of Mr. Rogers, just not in my wheelhouse. I've seen it a few times growing up, but this is not where I was at as a kid. I was into Johnny Quest and all that kind of stuff, those cartoons. But uh, Fred Rogers, I, I, I went to the movie the other night and watched that movie. Have you seen it? You need to see it. This is a Christian man who took his love for Christ and built it into love for children and love for other people. Uh, That particular individual there uh, is Tom Junod, uh, who was the Esquire uh, writer known for slicing and dicing people when he did biographical sketches. Uh, He was assigned, against his desire to want to do it, uh, to do a piece on Fred Rogers. You You need to go see the movie. Because as you see the movie, you will see how Fred loved this guy into the kingdom. Loved this nasty individual you walk out of the show thinking, am I that kind? Am I? where's my red sweater? You know what I mean? Uh, you have a definite message from God. Love as I loved number two. Uh, or you have a duty from God really. And then you have this whole thing of, uh, fulfill my mandate of what I want from you. Uh, be like a a Fred who changes the Tom. And then lastly, you have a definite model. This is a real interesting model. What's the model? He says, the model is the night is almost gone in verse 12 and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing or drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity, not in sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. He says, you should uh, be putting off and putting on, putting off all the wrong things, putting on all the right things. This is a model. Uh, the night he speaks about here, the night is almost gone, refers to the current evil day in which we live. It's so sad because all the people that you watch in news all think that this, this political structure of the entire cosmos of all these nations is going to be eternal. And they're all fighting for rulership here. it's going away and it's going to be replaced by the kingdom of Christ. But in the meantime, he says, as the day is drawing near, he's talking about the day, the eschatological day of the coming of Christ. He says, in light of the fact that the evil day is passing and the new day of Christ's coming is near, you should be laying aside deeds of darkness. What are the deeds of darkness? Well, ask the Lord to show you, and he will answer that prayer straight away. God, show me the deeds of darkness in my life that keep me from loving my wife like I should love her, my children like I should love her, people like I should love them, my coworkers, my coworkers, Show me the darkness of my love and help my love be your kind of love. He says, let me, let's liken it unto um, taking a garment and setting it aside. God, show me. What godless garment should I take off and just lay to the side this year? Show me. Show me. Do I love like I'm supposed to? And then he says on the other side of the equation, he said, you should then take up another garment. Verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ to make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Put on the, the godly garment. God, help me take off the godless garment, fake love, and help me put on a godly garment that, that reflects Christ. And help me to even know what that is. And you might not even know. I'm not even equipped, you might say, to even do it. That's great, because he is. And he can give you the kind of love that, well, you didn't have in 2019, and maybe have never had. It's almost 2020. What does God want from us? He wants transformed people. Transform God, show me where I need to be transformed. And when you get transformed, then your world gets transformed. There is nothing better. Let's pray. God, thank you just for uh, how the scriptures show us what you desire from us. The problem is our will, uh, because we, we, we get used to the ways that we live and love and I grow content with them, even if they're not working. And I pray that your spirit would put a finger uh, on a nerve in different people's lives today to show them. It's, it, this is the time to get, get on with the program, to say, God, show me your kind of love and help me to evidence that toward all those about me and fill them with the cup that's overflowing with the only love that can come from your good hand. And if anybody is among us who doesn't know you, hasn't a clue as to what we're even talking about, spiritual transformation, uh, well, you have a way of getting their attention and showing them the need of Christ who loved them enough to die and rise again the third day. We praise you for who you are. Uh, May our lives reflect you, especially as we walk out of this building, to be loving toward all those brought in our life path. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you. Have a great new year.